It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Fletcher. Ben, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Ben, absolute honor for someone that I have known for what turns out to be quite a, a large chunk of my, my cricketing life. And for a number of reasons, wanted to have you on the show, one of which being your chosen career path is that of a the, the major franchise holder or the founder, CEO of one of Australia's top-rated gym organisations, which as this is being filmed in the middle of stage four lockdown in Melbourne is something I really want to sort of explore a little bit more about how you are getting on. So maybe before we jump into that, can you tell us a little bit about who the very handsome and bald Ben Fletcher is? (laughs) Bald of about, as of about six months ago now. So I always looked at my hair like it was a bit like my cricket career. If ever I felt I could no longer perform, it was time to go. Um, I was fortunate in my cricket career. I was able to hold on for a little bit, but then when the hair went, um, yeah, it was time to go. So, um, yeah, so thanks for that very, very nice introduction there. So so you want to know a little bit about me? So I cricket background, I grew up playing cricket and football, Um Fell in love with sport and fitness from a very young age. Um, grew up in the Strathmore area, which is northwest of Melbourne. And then I found a real passion for the physical side of preparation for sport. And then I was lucky, unlucky to get a really bad injury at a young age, at uh, well, young age at 19, which I carried for 18 months, and 12 of those I was I was almost bedridden. Um with what back then was a, it was almost a trendy injury called osteitis pubis. I don't know how there's such a thing as a trendy injury, but you don't hear about it now um, too much. Um, I've had but, it. Yeah. I've had it. Yes. I hear you, brother. It, it's not very nice, is it? No, not not a nice injury. But uh, maybe so maybe just that. maybe to cut you off there, sorry, Flint, Maybe just to describe really quickly what the hell osteitis pubis is, because it's yeah, sounds like yeah, Latin. No, was, yeah, osteitis pubis is an imbalance of your pubic bone where it's supposed to sit and all becomes imbalance, which basically saps all the power and strength out of your glutes, and that affects your upper hamstrings as well into your insertion. So that whole area becomes inflamed. And when it gets really bad, it gets into the pubic bone, the inflammation, which is very, very hard to recover from. So um, back then, you had two options. One was rest and rehab which was a six to 12 month process really slow progressions the other option which was scary that i had to sleep on for a day was (laughs) i had to sleep on it whether i decided to do it because it was chronic i couldn't walk a couple hundred meters i remember once actually walking from home and i had to get mum to pick me up for a hundred hundred meters from home because i literally couldn't walk and it was so painful it's like a permanent needle in my in my groin but um they cut their tendons away from the the bone, the pubic bone, and then they have your legs holding up on the bed while they um, deflame, and then they re- strip them and reattach them, which is pretty crazy, isn't it? So, but there's in that injury back then, there was twenty percent chance you'd never play sport again. So that was a too high a ratio to risk. And um, so yeah, I did the rehab uh, for osteitis pubis, which was very very long, took about a year. And in that time, I studied to be a personal trainer. So, um, so when I say it was the worst thing and the best thing, it really gave me a good chance to reset and get really healthy and uh, get as lean as I could, as strong as I could, and that's where I 
really fuel the passion for fitness. And then from a cricket sense, um, I come back, um, yeah, I guess with I was pretty lucky. I come back from not playing a senior game, well, actually one senior game, sorry, in the first 11 to the year because I missed a whole year, watch the boys play in the grand final, which they just lost, and then come back uh, the following year and uh, was fortunate enough to have a have my record a record breaking year with a um, Essendon Cricket Club, which was pretty cool. Um, made the most runs ever in a season um, there, which was pretty cool. Congratulations! And then, yeah, that was a long time ago. Then yeah, that was where my um, yeah fitness career started. And fast forward eighteen years, I've played finished cricket four years ago and run listen to your body and we've now got uh from personal training one-on-one with 50 dollars in the bank and one client in 20 or 2002 we've got um now yeah hundreds of um thousands of clients and multiple studios around australia well i'll say congratulations again and you you've inadvertently glossed over some pretty impressive other stats there that you I knew that getting getting you to skite or humble brag was going to be a challenge from uh, from an interview point of view. So I'm going to do my best to get you to to talk about yourself um, in a little bit more detail. You got to appreciate for the for the person listening. Uh, ben and I have known each other from our time um, maybe a decade ago when you, whenever you came down to Melbourne Uni, whatever year that was, and yeah, 2013. And 2013. Yep. So you're only a couple of years older than me, I think. Yeah, 41, yep. 40, well, a year older than me, right? So yep. you were the other one of the other senior players at the club. And Ben is one of those blokes that has always been so incredibly generous, positive, and I don't know that I ever saw you upset, angry, uh, abusive, or really like at all. And, and maybe that's, you know, because you're able to hide it pretty well, but I don't think it is – given many, many people that have spoke, spoken very, very highly of you. The, the point of me saying all this is that the Listen to Your Body franchise started from nothing and you've built it up to now being ranked as what number, Jim, in the country? Oh, by size or in our space, um, we'd be in the top 10 of the group personal training space, um, 20 in total, including the big boxes. But yeah, been the top ten in the group personal training space in our boutique fitness. And what what is it about listening to your body that's that's allowed you guys to to get to that to that level? Do you think? Yeah, it's a it's it's a really it's a really good question. That um, we've been fortunate, we've um, attracted a lot of good people into the brand over the years that have added a lot of value. Um, obviously, I'm the founder. I started. I had a passion. I had a vision, um, and the vision was always to be the best we can, not necessarily the biggest, but the best we can at every everything we do, even a, um, tra- a training session we ran just before this um, with a new new studio opening, um, everything's still in line with that vision to be the best we can of how we're delivering. So I'd say because of that, we've attracted great people into the network, great owners, great trainers, which attract great members. And we always do the right thing by members. We don't we don't have contracts. We don't have joining fees. We don't have exit fees. We don't have debit fees. We just do everything that the customers love. And by doing that, we increase our retention. And to build a business, I, I believe you can't build a business without great retention. So we've got a retention of 91% month on month across studios and industry standard, depending on what your reads, around the 35%. So that's how we've been able to um been able to multiply and have sustainable businesses. So this is this is something that is really it is extraordinary. If you're talking about that 91%, anyone's experience with a gym, not that anyone can use one in Victoria at the moment anyway, but <laughs> I remember um, years ago signing up to recreation or not that I want to pick on recreation, but the the process to to leave recreation gym was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was like getting yeah. a divorce. And yeah. uh, and that's not the point of what I'm saying here. This is the reason you've, you've attained this level of success. Will be down to some core values that you've picked up somewhere else along the way. And I'm keen to explore this. Where where did you pick up this this desire to want to be the best and and to be able to build a vision and to do this other stuff that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, really good question. I do think about this a bit actually, and. Uh, 
taking a taking it back a step, I think it comes from their um, sporting um, sporting desire. I I really did want to play cricket for Australia. I mean, I, I did. I wasn't good enough. I was. I was lucky. I was I was a supplementary player in the Victorian Bush Rangers one year in 2002-2003 as a 22-year-old, um, which was an amazing experience. And I'm forever grateful for that to, to Cricket Victoria and, and getting that opportunity. I fought for the last contract with four other people and didn't get it. But um, I still think I, I had the mindset even before that, whatever I wanted to do, I wanted to be the best we possibly could. Um, and then... From there, I think cricket taught a lot of those lessons, and where that's related to, where that's related to business is because if you're doing cricket, everything you do twenty four seven will end up in your overall results in cricket. So eighty percent of your work should be done away from your teammates to prepare as best you can for cricket. You don't have to brag about that. No one has to see it. And it might be a 6 a.m. recovery session on a cold pre-season morning, whatever it is, to get your body right or the hard work in the gym or the the mindset work, whatever it is um, that you do. And then naturally you have that same mindset with um, with business. And it's driven, it's not in, uh, in spite of anyone. It's just about trying to challenge myself to, to be better at everything. So based on that, one thing you've got to think for as a business leader is you've got to think, always think like a customer. If you stop thinking like a customer, I think you're going to leave yourself very vulnerable in business. And we deliver our training on that. Always think like a customer. So I, I had an experience once with a gym I wanted to try out when kettlebells come in. So I joined the job, um, kettlebells and TRX. I go, oh, you wouldn't mind getting those for hours. I, would, I wouldn't mind um, just trying. So I joined a gym, same deal as you. I just had a three-month contract. Um, and I said, I just wanted to do a couple of sessions and then I just said, well, I may as well just join for three months and use the use the pool for the odd swim. And then I went to leave and, I mean, we already had no contracts, no exits, easy exit then, but I went to finish and um, same as you, it was, it was the hardest process. You've got to come down. And I, I said, look, I don't want to sound like a hero. I'm, as you know me, I'm, I'm humble. I treat everyone well. I said, oh, you really want me to drive 20 minutes out of my day to come and sign a form then to exit, but you're going to wait till my next debit runs and do it two weeks after that. And I was like, that is why you guys are struggling. <laughs> so um, in some cases, so yeah, I think when you want to be the best and you want to look at what's going to be the best practice and a big part of that's thinking like a customer. I want to know, Fletch, where these attributes came from. Is it mum? Is it dad? An uncle, an auntie? a coach, a teacher that really triggered this or is it a combination of everything? Oh, geez, that's a really, really good question there. Uh, I didn't get that on the um, on the preview. <laughs> Not that I got the preview, it's all good. Um, <laughs> I, I, look, I had a very, growing up, I had an incredibly supportive mother and father. Um, had a great experience growing up, to be honest. Um, and, and then I think a lot as well comes from my brother. Um, we, we played like bulls every day, hours and hours a day, eight hours a day. And he was so good. He was such a good sports person. And I was, I guess, I mean, the only thing I sort of look back on, I was the little brother that wasn't good enough, maybe. And mum still jokes about it after, you know, we used to break, we were those kids that used to break windows and mum used to replace them and support us in the backyard because we're out trying to improve. And um, and Trevor, my brother, was a very talented cricketer. He's probably one of the best local cricketers in, in our competition locally. And the story keeps going that all the time I'd bowl for four hours, <laughs> I'd go in and bat, I'd get bowled out first ball, and then I'd bowl for another four hours to try and get him out. They talk about it all the time, my family. And the ironic thing is, I was a terrible bowler. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, so I guess it just drove a lot of that hunger, I think. And Trevor was a very good sports person. And I had a grandfather, um, granddad um, passed away now, but he was a really big influence as well. Really, he was, I was named after him. Um, and I worked with him a lot on the farm and he was an extremely driven person 
the hardest work I've ever seen to, to this day. He was, you know, he went a generation where he just push himself and push himself. Um, incredible stories. We had a um, flower farm in the Grampians, 1,200 acres, and, you know, we'd get up at um, – He'd get up at five in the morning, he'd work, he'd pick flowers all day in a really hard job. Then he'd drive to Melbourne, deliver to the markets, work through the night, drive back up at 3am after he'd sold thousands of flowers in a really good business uh, there. And he'd, he'd be a zombie, but he'd just get straight back in the truck and he'd go out without sleep. And he'd do this two, two three times a week. And we just knew every Thursday, don't talk to him because of his mood. He's done. But he'd do it every day. And on Christmas Day, when I was eight years old and it was 42 degrees, I remember him saying, let's go, Ben. And then everyone's having their trifle. And I'd just go out with him and he'd give me five bucks. It was great. <laughs> and we'd pick out weeds on a farm 20K away on Christmas Day. And I thought it was just normal. <laughs> so so it's probably a combination there. Great, man. And uh, how long ago has been since your, your granddad passed away? Uh, 2015 Cup Day. Is there anything that you, if he was alive today, is there anything that you'd want to say to him right now? Yeah, I think when you get a bit older, you you appreciate it a lot more and look back on things a lot more. I think you just reinforce the thank yous. And although I might have said in a roundabout way, one thing that Grandad and myself probably aren't amazing at is um, it, you know, granddad wasn't amazing. I'm not amazing at is expressing, expressing um, emotions. So it was really hard to say, granddad, I just want to thank you for everything you've done and put my arm around him and that. It's just not what we do. <laughs> it's not what we did. And we joke about it a little bit at home. Um, but it's not to say I hide emotions. I try and keep things back to your earlier point. I always, you know, I always thought with cricket, with business, like even through COVID, um, which I'm sure we'll get to, is like this has been a fantastic time. We're a couple of million bucks down in sales, but um, we're flying, to be honest. Um, we're flying in a lot of ways behind the scenes. So you always want to try and keep level, you know, win, lose, or draw. And I think when you're talking about that cricket, I, I always used to say, you know, if you make 100, you – run the same pace at training. If you make a duck, you run the same pace. You do the same drills. You, you just never get too high or never get too low. Uh, I know it's a big thing, stick to your process. But one thing I'd probably say, I don't think I was that talented at cricket. I mean, I probably had a bit of talent. I probably only had two or three really good shots on a new, I worked out how not to go out uh, more more often than not. Um, but one thing I, I, was, I think I did really well was I was able to keep a, a really good temperament with the game. You're the the proud father. You've got four beautiful children to your stunning wife, Priscilla. Do you or have you made an effort to be more emotionally connected to your kids as a, say that your grandfather was to you, for example? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think it just happens naturally with our generation. I mean, granddad was um, and, you know, you know, dad was, um, you know, dad and mum were, you know, there's certainly no shortage, shortage of, of love, care, and from granddad, no love, care, no shortage at all. Um, <laughs> it was just, uh, just a, 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 as almost funny if you like that he he had his style, but you knew that he cared. You just knew very much. He thought the world of us. So he was he was incredible. Um, yeah, and he was just a a leader in different ways um, there of the family. So, um, but with our kids and. Um, I think it's just natural with this with this generation um, there that it's yeah you sort of got that sort of deeper connection if you like yeah. Do you think maybe it's just a you know with the evolution of man and and you know like we've coming out of World War Two like it was really about stiff upper lip. No one spoke about the war. Certainly, my yeah. grandfather said you know I asked him whether he killed anyone <laughs> like when I was yeah. a young fella. And he said, son, yeah. we just don't talk about went on in the war. Um, yeah. but, but he then became a raging alcoholic who, uh, who ruined the uh, two generations of, of family. But through his, through his inability to process whatever was going on. And, and uh, you know, he's passed. He's obviously been dead for a long time now. But, and it's not that I'm trying to have a dig at my grandfather or my mother's, on my mother's side, but, you know, the stuff that I've been working on here 
is a legacy to do with his his actions, his behaviours. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's not wholly responsible for it all, but a large, yeah. large part of it. So the importance of being open and authentic and having open lines of communication with me and any future generations that I'm, you know, I'm going to have, want to have, um, has become really paramount. And I'm, and I'm curious to know, Ben, what, what are some great examples that you've seen in your own life of people opening up a little bit and then the flow-on effect of sharing something that they may not have shared? Um, so when you ask that question, do you mean in my personal life or professional life? Can be can be anywhere, anywhere, any, any example that you might have. Hmm. That's a really, I mean, I think just the one thing that comes to mind, I mean, it's a really good question. It's a really good question. Um, I think in the raw, I think the one thing is probably our family culture there with, you know, my wife and and myself um, and then the flow-on effect goes through our family culture, which keeps that really strong connection. Um, I mean, she's, yeah, she's very, very good at, at that, um, extremely good at that. Very, you know, it's probably one of her greatest strengths with with a lot of people that she connects with. Um, so yeah, so I'd say that probably my wife would be the be the biggest one that would influence through through being yeah very open and connected with people. And then I certainly don't feel like within our family there's a shortage of that sort of openness and affection. And yeah, the the culture within our house, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly uh, not not an attempt to try and pick holes in anyone's family at all. The the really interesting thing is, I've been fortunate enough to have some some of the world's best cricketers, you know, yourself included, Ben, uh, <laughs> as, as guests of the show. We had Justin Langer, we had Chris Rogers, who's a good friend of yours, or a very you know someone you were close to for a long time, um, and uh, and Ryan Harris. And the, the really interesting conversation with Ryan Harris was that, you know, we spoke about cricket for a percentage of the podcast, but he then opened up about his mother and his mum passed away just before he got selected for the Australian cricket team. And like your mum and your dad, he she was his biggest fan and, you know, drove him to every game, every training and had had this profound effect on his life. And and him sharing that information with, with our audience triggered some some messages to me from people that I know and that I'd never spoken to before just saying can you please pass on to to Ryan our thanks and our gratitude for him being brave enough to talk about this and it mm. you know he's just another human being like the rest of us but it's that profound act of vulnerability that is so disarming to a lot of people something that I feel like has become a bit of a superpower of my own you know mm. encouraging people to to share things about themselves that they maybe wouldn't have, uh, you know, felt comfortable doing, and in doing yeah. so, triggers a healing process of sorts, and that yeah. and that's sort of why I think about this stuff a lot. Um, and it might be a bit of a left of field question that I might have thrown you under the bus. So, so no, yeah, no, it's a good question. It's a good question. I think it's one of those questions that will resonate more over time of different influences. Yeah, I thought it was a no. It was a good question. Yeah. Well, we know a good mutual friend, Hugh Van Kolenberg, um, you know, with the Resilience Project talks a lot about this act of gratitude and and no no truer time than during COVID than practising this gratitude in order to help us get through what is an incredibly interesting period of our lives, to say the least, because the simple act of you cannot hold a negative thought and a positive thought simultaneously. So choose one. And you yeah. get the positive one by practicing these acts of gratitude. And I suppose yeah. my next question to you, Ben, is what are some of the things in your life that you're grateful for in addition to what you've told us already? Yeah, it's a really, really good question again. Um, and back to back to your last point there is what COVID has done is given us an opportunity to actually really reflect on what we are grateful for. Um, and there's been many a moments of being grateful and I I don't think I have I had taken slightly back a step I made a strategic decision on Friday the 27th of uh, March 
<laughs> which was four days after lockdown. I am going to answer your question, though, just to let you know. <laughs> so right. I am going to answer your question. I am on track. I'm just doing a little left deviation. Not at all. Yeah, so with the handling of, of COVID, um, I feel a, an enormous responsibility on 13 business owners who have invested into the brand. So everything we do, people are putting their livelihood in the hands of something I created and what systems and decisions I, I make. So it's a really important thing. So I've got 13 customers, really, as well as our corporate shitty up Bandura that we own, but I've got 13 customers and that's the owners. So when this happened, we're in career best form at Listen to Your Body. Profitability was an all-time high, smashing industry standard records of profitability. Um, multiple parties were just about to buy a Listen to Your Body. And 12 months earlier, I worked on for three months the strategic plan for this year of certain targets to hit on many metrics. And March 16, when this all started to happen, just before that, it was going to be within a day of June 30 to hit these targets. It was teased to the line. Then this all happened, and on my whiteboard behind my other desk are these targets I go, were absolutely smashed to pillar to post, gone for 12 months' work, gone. And that was the thing because I knew if I had to hit the targets, I would have had great results for the whole network, and that's what I'm here for. And anyway, so... I don't really drink much. I might have two beers on the weekend, and I still don't. I've, you know, I'm not really a drinker. Um, I do enjoy one or two beers, um, maybe two on cooking a barbecue or something. And I said to the wife, I just need to go to work on Friday night just to do a few things. And I knew what I was doing. And I went to work, and I used it as my time to get angry, <laughs> emotional, swear, <laughs> and get out of my system, even though I kept a brave face for that Monday to Friday because there was it was a bloodbath everywhere. I was speaking to owners, members, members are crying to me, ringing me up crying. Staff are shattered. Anyway, so I sit literally behind on the floor, just staring at the whiteboard, and I had a beer in my hand, and it was just and I and I just said, you know, I'm gonna get this all out of the system tonight so I can just get on. I'm positive, I'm upbeat, but now's my downtime Friday night. I sat in the office till 8 30 on the Friday night, staring at the wall with some music playing on my Bluetooth, and just you know, I was like, oh, damn it, you know, I got it out of the system. Anyway, sun comes up the next day, and then and then that's been the only downtime really through COVID, even through the lockdown too, where, but I actually strategically did that to what you said, positive, negative. Let's get it all out of the system. Just say, yeah, this is crap. This isn't good. But then, you know what? You wake up, people are in a lot worse condition. Like we've got, we're fortunate. We've got a, a nice enough house. We've got an awesome backyard. We've got healthy kids. We're a healthy wife, um, great friends. What's there to complain about really? So basically in that time, the last five months, it's been a great opportunity to actually just say to the kids, you know, even at dinner time, kids, honestly, you're going to think this is crazy, but I reckon just for a minute, we should just think about how fortunate we are to have this nice dinner tonight, to have to have this um, steak and, you know, we've got nice salads and we cooked it on a nice Weber and you guys are shooting basketballs in the backyard. It's just like we're so busy trying to chase the dream. It's like why don't we just take a deep breath and say be grateful for this. So I don't spend money on shopping. I don't spend money on anything really, to be honest. Um, so just being grateful for what you've got with the micro things more so than none of that materialistic stuff is not of interest. But, um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of things to be grateful for, the health of the family, the opportunities we've had, the the business, the, the, the ability to impact lives, um, the ability to be healthy and yeah, there's a lot, a lot to be very grateful for. It's a great answer, uh, Ben. And it was a long one. <laughs> but no, look, I mean, this is the whole point of this, right? We've got to, we've got to go down the rabbit hole of getting inside of your head because you are an incredibly upbeat individual. You always have been, and and that's why I was really excited to have you on here because I thought, you know what, people need a Ben Fletcher in their life right now because this motherfucker has a lot to potentially lose with this business that he started from scratch. And as far as I know, you knew nothing about the franchise business. You're all self, self-taught self and obviously surrounding yourself with people that know what they're talking about. And we'll explore this in a second and have built this amazing empire. You're at your peak. And then some motherfucker bites onto a bat in downtown Wuhan and just puts a real downer in your day. <laughs> or week or month or however long we're going to be in lockdown for. 
<laughs> and people people are throwing themselves off bridges all around the world that yeah. that are that can't handle things that are way way less than what you've got going on. Mm. And this is a real skill that you've developed here, Ben. So I'm I'm really grateful that you've shared this with us. And I and I suppose my next question for you is, what are some new core values or beliefs that have come about as a result of having to pivot on this experience? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think there's two parts to the answer on this one. There's been a lot of new um, systems initiative. There's a practical side of um, this answer is we've used it as a great reset time. We've I've lifted up the bonnet and had a look at the engine and I've taken everything apart and most of it's gone back in the spots, but I've rebuilt part of it. So that's been really good. And we've, we've, we've got some really good initiatives that we've done. We've launched an online shop, which is great. We've built a help center. Um, we've developed a lot more online um, items, developed more assets. Um, there's been a lot of good things that have, that have happened from a practical side. Um, and look, from the belief side of things in the, in the pivot, I don't think a lot has changed from a from a belief point of view. Systems have changed. I think it's more um, the main thing that's changed is it's just a great time to be grateful, really. Back to your earlier point, it's a great time to be grateful. It's like, you know, like you're always going back to an earlier point, I said thinking like a customer, you've also got to think like other You've always you got to think like other people, you know, less fortunate people. You know, we, we've got access to some good stuff. I mean, sure, we've worked hard, but I mean, another thing is, and I'm not going to get on here and um, talk about politics once again. I'm not going to comment. I'm not in the position of a politician and making those decisions, so I'm not. I'm not one of those people that are going to blame. So, well, unless you're in the shoes to make those decisions, I think it's best to have less comments. But um, I'm so grateful for our government. Because if it wasn't for the government, we would have lost five studios with all of the the benefits that we've got. I mean, our head office is, is has got some great support from the government. They even reached out to me, um, so I'm very grateful for where we live too. Yeah, I think it's that's one thing to be, um, and it's a tough one too because it's like yeah. you know, are these are these the people that that bought this on? You know, yeah, sometimes know. people think about it. And uh, I've spoken in other recordings, Ben, about the, the possibility of me becoming prime minister of this country. For, like, it's just an idea that's come to my mind in terms of the importance of not saying, you know, he's not doing a very good job or she's not doing a good job, but going, and I'll put myself in those shoes and yeah. see what it's actually like, right? Because yeah. it's yeah. always easier on the other side. But, but I, one of the questions I want to ask, this is a hypothetical, right? And I fucking hope to God I'm wrong, right? What happens What happens if they say, you know what, henceforth, no more gyms? What would you do? From, from when, sorry, after? From, let's say, let's say you come out the other side of this and they go, look, we've, got, we've identified uh, gyms are a, a primary source of, of, you know, infection rates or whatever, so we can't have gyms operating in Australia for five years. Yeah. What What would you do? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, I think the first thing you've got to do is um, it comes back to it, what's in your control and what's not. Well, clearly that's not in our control. I'd probably grab three beers instead of two and come to the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> Uh, I have no doubts that if that happened, I would find a way to to rebuild double in some other capacity. Uh, what that looks like, I'm not sure, but I think it goes back to the the lessons you learn in sport that relate to business, and then transfer the um, to to another business. Um, or like, I would probably do some upskilling um, there, and hopefully, with a I guess what I've learned over the years, I can add value in some other way in in some other industry. And I know one thing's for sure. Um, you know, within 48 hours, as cold as this sounds, but within 48 hours, I would have moved on as much as that, you know, as hard as it is. But I think, you know, I I was probably, you know, I don't want to distract too much, but I was, I had a, when I finished up with Essendon before I come to one of the most amazing 
sports clubs in Melbourne Uni, or I can't speak highly enough of. Um, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Amazing club. But, um, yeah, I was for about two days, I was, you know, I can't even remember being more shattered than, than anything in business than when my time finished at Essendon. But it was only two days and just moved on and you just got to move. You just got to move on. You, you sort of, you know, you adapt or you perish, you know, it's that simple. So I'll just work out where to upskill and, yeah, just move on. It'd be sad, but, yeah, hopefully you're wrong, mate. <laughs> well, look, yeah. I'm sure I don't think you'll ever get people out of the gym. I know people miss it desperately, which is a great sign, right? And I think I think humankind will rally around and will We'll uh, look back at this at a certain period in the future and be chuckling to ourselves about the insanity of 2020, right? Yeah. But yeah, I, um, yeah. you've got you've got a few other talents that I think you know. If, that, if heaven forbid that was to happen, uh, that you could draw upon, and we spoke about this when we were chatting on the phone the other day, you have become this this uh, what do you call it? Like an icon of franchising uh, in, in Australia, and have become a you know a very influential figure and showing people how to run these front. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Oh, yeah. It's one of those things. I think you you compare yourself to the to the real icons and you feel like you're very, very small. But um, oh, 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 the only thing I'll probably say about that is that I'm so lucky that um, – in in my job, I guess I've got a real strong passion for three things. I I was writing about this a couple of days ago. Um, I got a real strong passion for fitness. I got a real strong passion for business. I love business, and I got a really strong passion for franchising. I think franchising, when done well, I'll, I will say, when done well, because it can be done poorly, as we all know. When we read, it's it's had been dragged to the dirt. Franchising through some poor behaviour, but when done well, I think it's an amazing model. I just looked to in COVID of you know our community how. It stayed together, and I look at all the independents closing down. And I look at the brands are not um, because they're part of a, a community. So, um, yeah, look, franchising I do love. I've I've done some things over the years, uh, but I haven't really actively sourced that. I sort of feel like I I want to get more and more runs on the board before I go too public. And I know the argument is, no, you could do it now. I, I sort of understand that, but I guess I've just got my sleeves up and. Yeah, one by one, and yeah, I'll look to do more of that sort of franchising ambassador work um, into the future and, and speaking. But I do, I do enjoy it. I do. I've sat on a few panels, and I've I've enjoyed that, uh, even though it's pretty daunting. Uh, it is pretty daunting. It uh, especially was in the early days of franchising. I'd feel a bit more comfortable in the last couple of years. But um, yeah, it's it's something. Yeah, I'll look into more more down the track for sure. Is an, an imposter syndrome something that you've struggled with on occasion, Ben? <laughs> do you think it has? Do you think I do? I don't know. I'm asking you the question. I'm just curious to know. It's a, it's a like it's a real thing with some of the the, the most extraordinary people on the planet that I've been fortunate enough to to have on the show, and um, some of them have suffered from it tremendously. And I'm just curious to know, like, is it something where you found yourself up on stage and gone, you know, I'm not good enough to be here at times? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think in the early days, I think in the real early days, I probably didn't have the the confidence. I, I probably come from a bit of a background where. I don't know, it's a bit of an unwritten rule. I keep coming back to sport, a bit of an unwritten rule in sport that, um, you know, earn your stripes first, get runs on the board, and then not stick your chest out, but it's probably not a bad time then to expand even more. I mean, you've got to, you've got to have a crack, don't get me wrong, but I guess with my, my style I, at the time or the early days of franchising, I was like just the new kid on the block type stuff. So um, now I feel like you know, I can add real value. So I feel really confident of um, a guy, um, I sort of don't want to name drop here, but um, speaking of Aussie icons, a guy, John O'Brien, who's the CEO and uh, founder. The Windows? Poolworks. Uh, pool oh, okay, um, big company. Yeah, they've got, I don't know the number, but probably 150 franchises. But he's been like the national franchisor of the year only two years ago and, He's probably in franchising at the moment. He's probably the one of the biggest 
biggest names. And I was at a lunch table with him at a, at Las Vegas last year, actually at a conference. <laughs> and he said to me one thing that I actually wrote down, and I I've got it in my uh, in my notes from that conference, which I still read every uh, every fortnight, um, which I do to all my conferences. But anyway, um, he he said. How many franchises you got, Ben? And I think I was at twelve then. Um, and then he goes, "Oh, you got the dirty dozen." And I said, "What's the what's a dirty dozen?" He goes, "Well, anytime someone gets to twelve, it means what you're doing is really good. You've got something really good happening. You don't get to twelve if you're no good." And secondly, you've seen everything in franchising. So you've seen you've seen nearly every situation. The only thing is when you duplicate that, just you see a lot more. So it was quite interesting. So um, so based on that experience, you know, like, yeah, I do feel confident um, speaking about varied topics. Some I, I'm not as educated and I just probably won't play unless, I, unless I'm across it. So, yeah, that's why I don't talk about politics too much. So... <laughs> Well, no, I don't think we've gotten too political at all. And I, and I uh, nah. you mentioned you mentioned earlier about uh, what sounded like journaling. Are you, are you a big journaler? Yeah, I write a lot. Um, what do you write about? I, I I do a lot. I write about fitness. I write about franchising. I write about business uh, business there. So I write about the three. So on my LinkedIn, I've oh, look. I I haven't done a lot of blogs in recent times. I um, do literally. I. I um, created a, a headline this morning actually funny enough um that i'll be um breaking down into four blogs but um yeah i do blogs do newsletters yeah i, I do a fair bit actually um yeah i enjoy it i enjoy i enjoy writing i, I always just you know similar thing about the customer i always like think of the reader in mind what are they going to get out of it so um yeah i do enjoy it yeah i've sort of toyed a bit with I had a play a while ago. I spoke to some people who have done it, uh, writing a book. I spoke to a few people that have done it, and I will get to that. That is on the to-do list. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get, I will get to it. Two, two questions for you. First part, what excites you about the possibility of writing a book about whatever it might be? And the second part of that question is what terrifies you about writing a book of your choosing? Um, so the first group was excites me, um, sharing knowledge with people and, and increasing profile is a good thing. That's not sort of looking for backslash, but I think increasing profile is a big one. Um, I wouldn't say the words terrified, but the one reservation I've got, to be honest, I'm happy to, happy to say this is, and I've had this conversation with some advisors I've got. I've got an advisory board. I've had some conversations about this when I was on the table is what I write about franchising, what I write about fitness businesses, what I write about fitness. So there's three topics and the decision of what one to write about because I think you want a real point of difference if you write it. So that's probably the hold up because if it's, if it's franchising, so, yep, no worries, I wouldn't mind – I wouldn't mind landing an international, an international expansion plan or something bigger even again for the book. Um, so it's even really even more compelling. Um, yeah, so I'm just biding my time on that one. I don't think it'll be fitness even though I've taken 350,000 training sessions with people. Um, but I'm not spending every single day studying about a um, serotis anterior. I'm not a... I'm not a like I love fitness and I love training general pop, but I'm not a scientist, so yeah. Well, uh, what a what a great response, and I, maybe I've got something that might be of value to you, Fletch. So I had this extraordinary experience with the wonderful, inspirational, motivational Les Brown, one of the greatest speakers, living dead. Not not my recommendation, but what the general population thinks. I also think that too. And he inspired me to write my book, which, oh, I wrote, which I wrote in six weeks. And I'd never written anything more than a shopping list prior to that. And it'll be it'll be published at some point in 2020, probably just online initially, uh, whether I self-publish or go through a publishing agent. But one of the great pieces of, pieces of advice that I got with regards to writing books and also public speaking or being a keynote, being a professional keynote speaker, which is one of the the areas of my, you know, my career path now is you, if you can challenge conventional wisdom 
in, in whatever you're doing. So I don't think there's anything stopping you, Fletch, writing a book about franchising, about franchising the fitness industry interwoven with stories of your life because the, the, the art of storytelling is a real knack. And if you write it so that you enjoy it, then I think organically people will be naturally really interested. And if you can really let go, and this is from my own experience, writing it in, in storytelling form and you, using being as descriptive as I could without being over the top, you paint this wonderful picture. It's a very cathartic experience from my own experience again, and you'll have something at the end of it, which is I don't think anything exists like that. So you've got this guide on how to, this this area of interest, which is an area of interest summit, and then you've also got, you know, this this third, really unusual sort of dynamic. And I reckon I reckon if you can, if you went in with something along those lines, you come out the other side. You have this book, and and one of the great things that Les Brown inspired when he told me to write this book is he said Laban is a speaker. You need a book for credibility. Yeah. And it, and it absolutely, you know, Ben Fletcher, you know, franchise CEO, you know, fitness guru, cricket lover, family man, author. And it immediately has that punch to it. Right. So just, just yeah. food for thought. Cause it's that great quote, you know, by Henry Ford that you would have heard a million times, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. You're spot on, I reckon, mate. Because, I mean, like, you know, let's say shutdown goes for another six months, right, before you can open up the gyms again. If I can write a 30,000-word book in four, six weeks, I reckon uh, <laughs> with your levels of determination and drive, I reckon you'd be, uh, you'd be doing half that time despite raising four kids and having a beautiful life. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, yeah, you're right. It's it just it just would, yeah. As I said, when yeah, I, I think I think you, yeah, you've offered some some good advice there, and I'll I'll certainly take it on board. And I know that um, yeah, it would be great to do, It'd be a great project. Well, it's um, the only reason I get excited when I hear the possibility of someone writing, you know, some some literary genius is that when done when done well and from an authentic place. It comes across really well. And I just have these visions in my mind of you being back in Las Vegas, probably staying at the Bellagio Hotel, presenting at a, at a global conference where you are now in charge of, you know, Ray Kroc levels of franchise numbers. You know, I don't know what McDonald's is up to now, like a few million below, <laughs> is it? Few hundred thousand? I'm not sure the numbers. They've got a few, I think. <laughs> is, is Ray Kroc your, your franchise idol? Or is it someone else? What, you know what? It's a really good question. I watched the movie. I loved the movie um, because a lot of it resonated with franchising. But there is a bit of a difference between, uh, and just a little disclaimer here, I'm not comparing myself to Ray Kroc. We've got 13. He, he did all right. But uh, he was absolutely ruthless in in his dealings. I don't think at talking about goals, I'm not ruthless in my dealings in business. Um, you know, I I love business. I I prefer not to step on any toes whatsoever and I want to have everyone have a good experience. It doesn't mean I'll I definitely doesn't mean I'll dodge the hard the hard stuff. But um I'm ruthless in my work ethic and that, but yeah, I he's he was ruthless. I don't think he cared who was in the way. We you know, he'd stitch up supplies and yeah, yeah. It means we we don't open up as many. We'll will so be it. But I sort of really enjoy the you know the positive outcomes for all stakeholders at, at all times. And if if someone's not going to be positive, like there's one at the one of our suppliers at the moment, we'll we're going to do a review on because we review as a process every two years and that's just a business decision. It's not ruthless, just that they're not up to, I don't think they're up to scratch. So we'll, we'll move on. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, Hollywood sort of have a, have a, a knack to, you know, make it maybe dramatic. I don't know enough about the real life Ray, Ray Kroc. I don't, yeah. like it was a Michael Keating movie uh, who, you know, played Batman beautifully. Uh, was he, he was Batman, wasn't he? And, um, 
And, and it was interesting. And I certainly thought of you when I watched that, that movie. I only watched it recently, actually. But I think that the thing that strikes me about your method of, of development, Fletch, is this really wonderful uh, coming from a place of love and abundance that the, the amazing Zig Ziglar talks about, that one of the famous motivational speakers, and I frequently reference his quotes, and was fortunate enough to interview his son, Tom Ziglar, who uh, will, the, the, that podcast should be available by the time this is being read or listened to, rather. And uh, he, he grew up as the son of, of Zig and witnessed everything that went on. And, and like this, this amazing, you know, you can get whatever you want in this life as long as you help enough other people get what they want. And that to me sounds like your business model. And I think you could still achieve Ray Kroc levels of franchising without stepping on or without fucking people over, I think is what we're trying yeah, to say here. You might yeah, need exactly. to step on toes, but it's it's about being being honest with people, not being afraid to, to have the tough conversations, to polarize and to attract the right people in your organization. Like attracts like. Scientifically, they know that you become like the five or six people that you spend the most amount of time with. I'm sure the same is true with franchises as well. So what's stopping you? What's stopping you doing a million franchises around the world, do you think? Is it just this? Oh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I don't think, I think with, I, I hear what you're saying and I think with a business, with with business plans of what people want to achieve, provided the concept is work and it's scalable there, I think that, yeah, the sky, that's a good thing I like about franchising, which keeps you coming back again and again, is because the sky almost really is the limit in this, you know, like you can you can do, you can go bananas and open thousands and um, you can do that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to exactly articulate what's, What's stopping? We started getting some some momentum um, before COVID. Um, there, obviously, we've been a little bit in a pause for our growth. But um, with a strategy, it's we would like to get big, no doubts about it. But it sort of comes back to our original mission to to be the best, and that's probably the the one thing that stops the rapid growth is the quality control. A great example is um, I could probably even name 10, to be honest, but I probably had 10 in the last probably 12 months that I reckon that were so keen to buy a franchise, but I just had this feeling, going back to my other comment about Ruthless when it comes to money, I didn't think they were going to be successful. I, I, I just didn't get that feel. I didn't feel the connection. So doing the right thing, I'm not going to take their money. That would have got the unit growth, which would have mean it's pretty ruthless franchising when it's a bit of a, it's not really documented, but bad behaving franchisors may have done this. I, I can't really comment, but like if I think someone's going to fail and I was ruthless, you'd take their franchise fee, see them fail in six months, lose their 150 grand, but get a real easy resale with another franchise fee because you've already got a site built and you've already got a permit and you've probably already got some members. So a resale is easier because it's a live site. And I just couldn't sleep at night doing the wrong thing. And I've had 10 examples of people where they're keen. There's even one, you know, I've had, I've had, you know, this year or even last few months, it was like, yep, I'm, I'm keen. And, but unless I feel they're going to represent the brand really well, protect our culture, be profitable and, and make it a great decision, I won't grant him a franchise. And that's why we're only at 13 and and maybe other brands are doing stuff that I'm not, but other brands have gone from nothing to 100 in a lot far in the same time. But we won't take take anyone if they've got a check. I'd, I'd only do it if I, if I honestly, and honestly, hand in, some haven't worked out. Hand on heart, I've never granted a franchise to anyone who I didn't think would be successful. Yeah, so that's probably why we won't get to a million. And the wife jokes about it, <laughs> say that um, 
you know, we'll always be, we'll hopefully be always be very comfortable, but uh, you won't be absolutely, you know, to that level because you're so picky of who you let through the gate. And I said, you know what? I am happy because I can sleep at night that people are doing well. So, and if that, as I've said, if it means we get to 50 sites and they're all thriving, making money, all these impact communities are impacted, I'm, I'm sort of happy with that. I'd love to do more, but as long as people are doing well and it's a healthy network. Mate, it's an admirable trait, and I and I respect you, you know, immensely for it. And, and having known you for as long as I have, uh, it's no shock. <laughs> it's no shock at all. And 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 coming from my end, who knows that much about <laughs> franchising, um, and, and has only really delved into uh, self-employment in the last uh, eighteen months. Um, it's been a steep learning curve, and I'm not. I haven't been responsible for anyone else yet. I've just taken on my very first intern. Which was a thrill. <laughs> so, yeah, Good yeah. On you. And uh, and she's actually she's this young, uh, very talented uh, Melbourne University marketing student that I've been mentoring, and um, and I put a job ad out on LinkedIn, and uh, she applied for it. I didn't because I didn't want to directly approach us, you know, I didn't want to muddy, muddy the waters, but um, she's come on board and and uh, is going to add some value in there, and and I want to. You know, if she wants to stick around and, and she's enjoying the opportunity, we can once the, the business becomes more profitable and bring her part time. Then if she wants to go full time, and then you know maybe some equity in the business. And I, this is some of the business stuff I've been reading about. You know, valuing your employees and getting that tenure that you're talking about. If you give some people, uh, you know, a small a small percentage of the business, the engagement levels that you must get go through the roof. And that sounds like it's what you've been doing. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. People need to people need to accelerate um, their careers and have the next stepping stone and work backwards from there for sure. Else, if they feel like they're a dead end and they're boxed down, that was why we inevitably franchise because we wanted people to um, not outgrow us, if you like. If they want to stay with us, I mean, in our industry, you're probably not going to pay off a mortgage um, as a personal trainer by itself. Um, maybe 2% might, but only a business, you're a chance. So that was why we did it because we didn't want to – we actually lost a – 2008, we lost a talented, very talented staff member, um, went up and opened up his own gym, and I was like, well, we should be doing this. And that was when the franchising seed first planted. So then doing the due diligence we did on the the long game, we – we opened – we had a studio opening anyway. I opened up a studio anyway and uh, ended up – for practicing for a couple of years to make sure it was franchisable because it was a different concept and then yeah slow steps and um but yeah you need to be able to grow well i must say ben this has been an, an extraordinary uh conversation and, and a very interesting one especially for people that are that are either interested in the concept of franchising or sp- small business owners or whatever it might be um you know it won't be everyone's cup of tea i realize that but but before we wrap this up is there anything else that you'd like to to share with our audience today that you've found valuable in your life? Oh, probably the only thing we, we just probably hit me between the eyes when you said valuable is, um, and it's probably a bit of a biased view, but I think uh, the importance of of keeping fit and healthy is so, it's so valuable uh, for mental health, physical health, um, work performance, relationships, um on a personal note, I I train every day and I probably have for nearly 25 years and train hard and push the body and push the limits. Um, and I think by, for, I'm not saying for everyone to do that, but I, I think it's very valuable to prioritise your health and your fitness because when that's going well, a lot of other benefits come from that a lot more than lifting a barbell, a lot more than lifting a barbell. So. My, my suggestion is, and I guess tip if you like, and this is certainly not related to a to an LTYB plug because people can do this anywhere, but just really take care of your health. Really look after your holistic health. Make good choices that are going to benefit your health because two ultimate things in life are being healthy and being happy. And I think training fuels both of those unbelievably, like nothing else. So, yeah, and we see it every day with members, of course. But yeah, it's, uh, I was doing a, even a bike ride the other morning. It was two degrees, whatever it was, and 
you sometimes just for a sec just say to yourself, geez, why do I keep putting myself through this? But then it's like you never doubt it, of course, but like by way of the execution of it. And then you feel amazing and, and then all of a sudden your day's great. You're a great leader to those around you. And um, so that would be my closing closing tip. And I think everything comes from from training. I'm very lucky that I've – very, very lucky. I don't know how I found it. I found it at 16 and, you know, I'll be doing it for as long as I'm here and can. Well, I'm not a religious man, but I'll give that a big fat amen, Ben Fletcher. <laughs> And uh, where can people find you if they want to read some of your blogs and figure out and read some of this other information you've got going around at the moment? Yeah, look, there's a few ways. Um, my LinkedIn profile is quite, um, yeah, I, I do a lot of work on LinkedIn. So, so by searching Ben Fletcher on LinkedIn um, is, one, is one way. The, the website of listentoyourbody.com.au can um inquiries can come through there and i'm always happy to um, share my personal details my personal email of uh, ben at listen to your and yeah i'm always happy to to connect to people i've got a very large network of people from all walks of life and multiple things and i'm always happy to yeah always happy to help i mean i'm not just saying that i'm always happy to help i literally contacted a, a friend at the afl today about potential opportunities it was a bit of a win-win but you know a lot of people have had some hardship there and we're speaking to virgin virgin australia during the week about offering some help there so wherever we sort of can help and i'm always always willing to help anytime so yeah more than happy ladies and gentlemen ben fletcher thanks buddy it's laban ditchburn and i really hope you're enjoying the podcast The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training where I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.